sorry, this is going to take me one hot sec to figure out some oh, words yeah. to say that are going to be good words to say and not terrible <laughs> ones. Okay. Hello, my name is Jonathan Bridge. I am, uh, what do I hell do I call myself? <laughs> I do not know at this point in time. I'm sitting down with Jonathan in Mayfield, a suburb in the northwest of Newcastle. And to get to know each other, I ask what he's into. Interests, interests. There's a fair few things, but the things I think that I have my heart set on the most is definitely live in the realm of games. From a personal perspective, I, I, I enjoy video games a lot. But where my heart truly lives at is at the tabletop games. I enjoy board games because they make me think. They stimulate my mind. The ones I like the most are the ones that give you a lot of solid tactical decision-making. Games like Dungeons & Dragons. D&D, for those who know. But Jonathan says he often struggles to find people to play with. I've, for a long, long time, been very repressed about it because I never had anyone to play with. I was the only person who was really interested in this stuff and I still kind of am. That's a rough feeling. I also think that being disabled is an isolating experience, especially in the ways that I kind of am. Jonathan identifies as non-neurotypical. The issues tend to be that bit more subtle, and you kind of struggles with the old understanding sometimes. Socialising can be very hard for us in many, many different ways. You know, it's a thing to get into, but there are definitely moments where I felt lonely. But Jonathan is eager to find people to play with, and at the same time, make a living out of his love for tabletop games. Tabletop games have a certain magic that brings players together. It's a ridiculously powerful bridge I've found that can take very socially awkward people who don't know what they're doing and what they're talking about and actually make them friendly. I am firmly convinced you could take two mortal enemies and if they played a board game together, they would come to respect each other so much more. For those with intellectual disability, the rate of unemployment is more than four times that of the non-disabled population. Stigma and ableism continue to widen this gap. But today on the show, you'll hear about an initiative tackling this divide and how the online world could help make Jonathan's career goals a reality. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morecambe. Before we continue... A quick note about language. The UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability uses person-first language, meaning some identify as a person with a disability. However, there are those who identify as disabled. This includes intellectual disability, meaning some may identify as intellectually disabled. How people identify and what language they use is up to the individual. And in this story, you'll hear the use of both. Now on with the show. I'm back in Mayfield, this time with Katie. My name's Katie Butler and I'm the program coordinator for the Startup Program. The Startup Program is run by Challenge Community Services in Newcastle, a support network for the disability community. So the program is an 18-month educational program for young adults with intellectual disabilities, and it's basically all about giving them the skills and the tools they need to start their own micro-businesses. 
Startup helps the participants brainstorm and map out their own business ideas. And what separates this program from many others in the disability space is that Startup is disability-led. Katie herself has a disability, and so do the mentors. So we've got three fabulous mentors at the moment, all of whom have disability and all of whom who have experience running their own businesses or have experience in self-employment. So they've been guiding our participants along the way and the participants really love having that connection with somebody who's done it all before and who also really gets them because they have that lived experience of disability. The grants coordinator at Challenge, Beth Innes, points out there are few disability employment initiatives that focus on starting your own business. Mainly it came about because we had a lot of feedback from our clients. Majority of our clients have intellectual disability and we have a lot that are leaving school and have mild to moderate intellectual disability but do not want to go into support and employment and they are very bright and engaging and support employment's not suitable. Supported employment attempts to offer the disability community ongoing and secure employment. A lot of that is working in factories, working in recycling plants, sorting rubbish, scanning documents. Some of it's far more interesting, some of it's creating woodwork, some of it's outdoors cleaning, doing gardening. But Beth says there are multiple problems with the supported employment system. Your wage is dependent on your ability. So if you have limited ability due to your disability, then you get paid less. It's not always meaningful work. And for the young people in startup, it's not meaningful enough. There's no reason why they can't earn a standard wage in mainstream employment or earn money through their business. When it comes to business ideas, Jonathan is charging forward with his. I want to run a club. A little old kind of as a contract worker game club where I run around to different places and I say I'm willing to host game nights. Hopefully the idea is they pay me to do it so that I can make a living off this. To start, Jonathan is hoping to host game nights for other disability support services like Challenge. And I provide them with a service for their customers and I make sure to bring as much of it as long as possible. So I bring the games, I bring tables, I bring this, I bring that, as much as possible, so that in theory, all they have to do is ask me to do it and pay me. And I'll just come along, give me, if I have the room, and I'll just do my thing. And they don't have to monitor it, they don't have to manage it, they don't have to worry about it. And it should ultimately be fun. But before he gets his idea off the ground, Katie says there's some important groundwork to cover in Startup First. Today, we were really diving into the practical stuff. We were looking at um, the steps involved in registering your business name and your ABN, and we were running through a sort of online tool where you can check what all your responsibilities are. Much of the mentoring in Startup is getting participants familiar with the online world. Obviously, in today's world, digital profile is really important. So not only is Katie talking about how to develop your digital profile, but what's important not to have in it as well. So, Such as? Well, I guess sort of a lot of employers now are looking at your Facebook, your social media, Instagram. So try not to put anything too silly in there, anything degrading or you know anything that would show you to be unreliable because all of that is forever. You can't get rid of it. And I think Katie's spoken about that to them. You, once it's there, you can't take it away. 
There's also the aspect of improving digital literacy, something Bronwyn Hemsley from the University of Technology Sydney and researcher on the startup program says is crucial in thrusting their business ideas forward. One of the skills would be using literacy skills in writing emails or writing posts. And in fact, some of the platforms have predictive words so that when you start typing, the correct words come up. And so some of the social media platforms might actually be helping because they'd have these technological features. And you might not need very, very strong literacy skills. It's also important to know how different social media platforms work. What's the etiquette on that particular platform? On a tweet, for example, you might put two hashtags, whereas on an Instagram post, you might put 50 hashtags. And it's perfectly fine. But if you do the opposite on the different platforms, they behave a little bit differently. Getting savvy with social media is proving helpful for one of the other startup participants. Um, Hi, I'm Annette Carney and I live in the Maitland area. I like photography and travelling. My favourite animal is a dolphin and my brother's likes galaxies, so we merged it together to make dolphin galaxies. And it's photography? Yeah, pet photography, landscapes and wildlife and things like that. And do you post them online? On Instagram. Mum, can you bring them up then, on Instagram? That one was taken at Raymond Terrace. I'm not 100% sure what bird it is, but it's a... I think it's a green parrot or something. Right, and where do you hope to go with the photography side of things? In the disability field as well, like um, accessibility with travel and we're going to start, blogs and things like that. Beth Innes from Challenge argues that having a strong online presence not only strengthens your business, but for the participants, helps keep the focus on their skill set. As people with intellectual disabilities will often be turned away when seeking employment in person. People make assumptions about what they can do, mostly assumptions about what they can't do. And although this program is about increasing people's employability and options for meaningful employment through entrepreneurship, It's also about changing attitudes to intellectual disability to say, this is what people can do. People can do this and they can do it really well. The realm of employment the startup program is focused on is an area called the gig economy. This refers to temporary work. Sometimes it's contracted work or freelancing. For Jonathan, This type of work could be beneficial. The hours are flexible, and with a unique business idea, he stands out from the crowd. Beth believes the gig economy could be a great way for him to get started. We really see the gig economy as the entry point. A lot of people have started with things like Airtasker and have built up their own clients from that into a business. Airtasker is an online mobile network where people either request or perform tasks for other users. The gig economy was just seen as a, as a step into networks more than anything else and building skills, building ideas. Some people don't know what they're good at or don't know what they want to do, especially if you just left school, that's normal. So the gig economy represents all different things that they could do, particularly as entry-level jobs are hard to find. But the gig economy, Bronwyn explains, isn't without its downsides. 
There's a tenuous nature of the gigs, if you like, the, the work that they might be doing and how much they earn for that work and the type of contract they might not get or get depending on their negotiation skills, the risk of frauds or scams or being exploited for their work and not being paid what it's worth, that sort of thing. And when you mean fraud, you mean on behalf of the body that's asking for a service, like they're not paying them right? What do you mean by that? Well, an example of uh, fraud is if, say, you're offered some work and then a a contract is made, but the terms of the contract are not fulfilled. And then you've invested a lot of time and then have it prepared and done, but not actually follow through with the payment, that type of thing. Is that a common narrative across this gig economy? Just from personal experience, I think it's a risk. And having other people to, say, look over your contract with somebody before you submit it, you know, or before you sign anything. Given it's somewhat of a tumultuous economic space, do you have any reservations about people with intellectual disabilities going into this space? Um, Well, I I guess not. They've got good mentoring, good supports around them in this program to do that. So they are being, if you like, supported quite well. It's not that they're going off alone and undertaking the gig economy, which some people with intellectual disability might be doing quite safely and quite well. But this particular group, whatever they need in terms of supports is provided. So if there was any indication that they were in any kind of danger or uncomfortable or felt stressed or you know, unsure about the way a certain work relationship was going, then the supports would be there to, to step in and say, okay, how can we reduce this happening? While Jonathan has his own reservations about his business idea, so far, it's been mostly positive. Recently, I played a game with someone who's basically blind. Flat out has a guide dog. <laughs> yeah, Katie Butler of Challenge Course. And she was able to play quite fine. It was a little bumpy, she got things wrong occasionally. But the game I played was extremely compatible with someone like her. What was the game? It was called Quirkle. Q-W-I-R-K-L. It's a simple tile laying game, basically, kind of like dominoes. You're trying to match tiles by colour or shape, no duplicates. Scoring points to the tiles, a very simple, very elegant game. I personally like it quite a lot. And uh, because of its ease of play and because it's using shapes and colours, it's going to be easier for people to get into, to understand. It's a great start. And so how do you market that? Are you doing that, like you've got a website where you're like, you can hire me to bring the games? How are you planning to reach out to people? I have inklings of ideas. I'm still in very, very early stages of this. Also don't know whether this contract worker idea is going to even begin to work out for me. Really not sure how I'm going to monetize this and make a living off it. But I know that I want to make a complete living off this. I want this to be what I spend my life doing. This is what I want to make the job. This is what I want to put my time and effort to. This is what I want to get something out of. So if anybody's listening, then uh, keep an eye out. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. 
whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company.